Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast, where we celebrate the golden age of black and white film. We're, the films are black and white, not gold. The gold is... The, <laughs> anyway, yeah, okay. Anyway, I, that's never made sense to me either, but it's what it is. Uh, uh, I have a great uh, guest with me today, uh, uh, Chris Salen. Say hey. Hey. Am I saying it right? Chris Salen. You, you said it right. You're probably one of the only people that have ever said it right <laughs> well you know what helped me was when you you initiated the the call we used to rec- to, to talk while we're recording this it said mm-hmm. call from chris salen so i was like oh okay so oh, right the technology on. helped helped us for once <laughs> thank you AI. Yes. Uh, yes yes um uh chris uh is from arizona he is a musician he's a graphic designer and he also claims to know way more about black and white old horror films than is appropriate so we're happy to have him on the thing uh he's you know he and i have been interacting quite a bit on the social medias uh his his comments and suggestions are always really great and i was i thought hey uh you know i want to want to bring some new blood on the show this year and he you were one of my first choices so thanks very much for being on well thanks for having me i've i've loved loved the show for a couple years now ever you know back when you and scott started it and all the way through to with you and livio and and all the special co-hosts along the way. It's a great show, and um, I'm just I'm, I'm just like tickled pink right now. Of, of which <laughs> of which you are now one. So, yeah. uh, not black and white, pink. See, pink. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, we have a cool uh, offbeat movie to talk about today. Uh, I always bring I always bring it up like it's like suspenseful and stuff. But meanwhile, everyone's clicked on it and they can see the title on their whatever streamer thing, so they know what we're talking about. And what we are talking about is Cry of the Werewolf from 1943, um, 1944, I should say, from Columbia uh, Studios. Uh, one of two f- uh, films we've covered now on uh, on the past on the podcast from Columbia. The first one being uh, when Cat Herons and I talked about Mark of the Vampire. So we're back. Um, or Return of the Vampire. It's Return of the Vampire, not Mark. Yeah, Return. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Cry of the Werewolf is about is a, it's a solid B movie kind of parlor drama that takes place it's you know has a different take I should say on the werewolf myth uh, from the Kurt Seod Mac style Wolfman Lon Chaney uh, uh, Lawrence Talbot style uh, 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 storytelling that we know so well from Universal um, in which uh, the daughter of a werewolf who is a werewolf herself seeks to protect her tribe's secrets from the outside world and will go will stop at nothing basically to do so uh, it stars Nina Fosh. And I looked up that uh, pronunciation just to make sure I wasn't saying it wrong and or saying something that was going to get us labeled as a, you know, mature right. podcast. Uh, Don't want to mess around It's spelled F-O-C-H, but it's pronounced Fosh. So uh, Fosh. Nina okay. Fosh, um, uh, as Princess Celeste Latour, uh, we know her from Return of the Vampire. Uh, she was also in the Ten Commandments and she was in an American in Paris. So, you know, uh, she's stunning. She's has an amazing presence in the film. Uh, I think she's fantastic in it. Uh, uh, also starring Stephen Crane, as who plays Bob Morris. Stephen Crane only did three movies and... Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, maybe he found maybe he found something 
he enjoyed doing more or was better at or anything. He's great. I think he's great in the film. Um, but, but yeah, uh, as a leading man, I don't know. You know, um, uh, it Fritz Lieber as Dr. Charles Morris, Bob's father. Uh, Fritz Lieber was in like stuff with, with Chaplin. Fritz Lieber was in like huge silent movies and stuff. He was older by the mm-hmm. time, obviously we got to, to this thing. Um, most notably he plays Franz Liszt in the universal 1940s version of Phantom of the Opera. Uh, that's mm-hmm. him, uh, who's, who's, who's in the next room when, when Claude Rains is getting his face burned uh, uh, with, with acid, man. Um, Osa Masson plays Elsa Chavez. Uh, she mm-hmm. was in Rocketship XM. She was also a dialogue coach for uh, like John Wayne and people uh, because she was from uh, Europe. I think, I think Norway, I want to say Norway or Sweden. Whoa. Um, the deep cut <laughs> which you yeah yeah <laughs> well it was right there on imdb i didn't have to dig too deep but it was there um uh uh barden mclean plays lieutenant barry lane so so they cast barden mclean to play barry lane which just okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> i feel lane. like i feel like that caused all sorts of trouble on 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 set probably um uh he played uh he played inspector walgren walgreen i should say in the mummy's ghost there's a p- bunch of people in this film involved in this film that that interacted right around like mummy's ghost kind of mm-hmm. uh, uh era, era you know, in universal so they kind of crossed the aisle there um well McC- and- mclean mclean's done a lot of uh yeah he's probably the star of this one i mean you know and he's been co-starring with humphrey bogart mm-hmm. and you know maltese falcon and high seer and things like yeah. that yeah oh right because he did all that yeah man um Fantastic. Uh, it's directed by Henry Levin. It was his first film he ever directed. And let me just say, like, if this is the first film he directed, he knocked out of the park. He did a great job. Uh, some, there's some beautiful looking uh, cinematography in this movie. Um, uh, I guess he's most known, famous for doing uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth in 1959, a couple years later. Uh, Griffin J. wrote it uh, again, wrote Mummy's Ghost. He wrote Return of the Vampire. Uh, Charles O'Neill is a co-writer. He wrote Seventh Victim and Alligator People. So... Yeah, which do alligator people on the show sometimes? That'd be fun. Um, well, if we get if we get through this, are there? Uh, if we get through this, film, you're, no, you're not as, sure as, about the, the result. As, if we make as it. we get through it, um, I was kind of impressed with uh, there's there's some parts of it that are very Luton ish to me. Yes, um, yes, there definitely are. I agree. Yeah, you you nailed it. Um, uh, so we, we get in the movie. The credits open with a shot of a, of a wolf kind of licking its jaws and everything. And apparently they put a little rubber band right around its its snout. And it was trying to, <laughs> it was annoyed at it and trying to get off. And if you look kind of closely, I think you can kind of see it. So it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, I always uh, thought it was peanut butter, but then I found out it was the rubber band. That's that's the that's the theory that they they put peanut butter on 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 the wolf's tongue and and watched this. But yeah, you can see the little rubber band around, around the guy's nose and stuff like that. Um, I mean, you know, it, as a werewolf movie, I mean, right off the top, we can talk about like like I I so I saw this movie. Um, I rented it from my friend Bruce Lentz's Incredible Strange Video, which I cite quite a lot. Uh, uh, he he's, was a big influence with me, and he really introduced me a lot of these cool old films back in the 90s when I was uh, like around college era. Um, uh, and I rented it and watched it, and it was like, oh, yeah, okay, that was, that was a fun one and stuff. Um, and really haven't revisited until pretty recently when I was going through some films thinking, okay, what's what's up for the podcast in 2024? By the way, happy 2024, everybody. Happy New Year. Uh, we are This is our first episode of the year so here we go um uh and uh and and the main impression i remember it leaving on me was like okay it's a werewolf movie it's a it's a good take on a werewolf on the werewolf lore like it does it creates its own Mm -hmm. lore and integrates it with a lot of interesting things that we'll get into um um obviously my thing at the at the time was like and and again everybody spoilers we always 
talk about. <laughs> if you're if you're listening to this and have not seen the movie and want to see it and not have it spoiled for you, obviously it's time to pause our podcast and go find the movie and watch it and then bring it back. <laughs> if not, then hey, you know. Um, here we go. Uh, there is some werewolf shots in the movie, but obviously it's not a guy or a woman in makeup. It is it is uh, an actual wolf or possibly a very large dog. I think in some scenes. Um, mm-hmm. That they, that they used. Uh, and they do some very, uh, you know, Henry Levin does some very clever transitions with shadows and, and, and dissolves and some things. Some things work a little better than others. Um, but at least there is a werewolf in this. Uh, and it's not all in somebody's imagination, Chris, as we were saying. Right. I'm blanking. Um, uh, she Wolf, oh, she of, London. Wolf of London. Yeah, she yeah. Wolf of London. Yeah, where where it's all kind of in in her head and stuff. There is actually a wolf. Um, if I have a, if I have an issue right off the the top that I'll just get off off my chest, it's that the wolf when you do see it is not particularly scary. The wolf is honestly pretty cute and fuzzy, and you know, right. <laughs> you don't get a whole lot of the wolf being really sinister and growling in the face and stuff. So you know, I was ask I was asking that. myself as I watched this. Um, you know, especially when you look at films like uh, Night of the Demon, where they, you know, the, he did not want to show the demon, but they made him show it. Yes. It almost seems like, because the scenes in this movie where they transition with shadows and footprints, mm-hmm. they're very atmospheric and well done. And then you have these just, let's face it, these really n- non-scary scenes of dogs inserted in here. And, and it yes. almost felt like like maybe somebody said they had to put those in there. <laughs> You, you almost kind of get the thing, like like you were saying earlier, necessary. it's almost like he's doing a little bit of a ludony thing, right, with cat people, right. you know, famously. Um, cat people comes out 43, I think, right? Mm, yeah, I think so. So, so. so this could, could there could have been an imprint for this. They could have looked at, someone could have looked at it and gone, you know what, we could do our own version but with werewolves now. Um, this is only three years after the big success of The Wolfman with Universal, so, you know, werewolves are still mm-hmm. kind of a, a hot topic. Um, the movie begins with a... Uh, a, a a quote at the at the top that says, and I wrote it down for everybody so I get it right. The ancient belief is still held that many. I should let me start again. <clears throat> the ancient belief is still held by many that anything that happens in the world is never lost. No sparrow falls unnoted, no tree crashes in the forest unheard. The sorrows, the joys, the loves, and the hates of past generation live on in people's memories, in their legends and stories. Perhaps our story is something that has lived on in a person's memory, or perhaps it is just a legend. Um. I'm not, I'm not, it, it's hard to, it's hard to determine how that quote really relates to the story we're about to watch. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little esoteric. Um, I do wonder if, uh, just with a lot of other films around this time, if that was some attempt to couch the story we're about to see and the visuals we're about to watch um, uh, in, in some sort of fantasy, I, I, you know, guys in order to avoid censorship or something. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was kind of a, a post hoc approach to, to, to that. I don't know. Or maybe, maybe it's pure to the close, maybe it is closer to the original pure idea of the thing before when they filmed it, you know, things don't always end up the way you would originally envision them. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, we start at the, the Latour museum of psychic research in new Orleans. Um, uh, which boasts the finest collection of occult and supernatural manifestations ever gathered under one roof. 
Um, it's it. it's literally like I mean I wish this was a real place. I'd go to this museum every all, every time I'm in New Orleans. Are you kidding? <laughs> Vampirism, me? Like, voodooism, <laughs> voodooism, werewolfism. I know, right? Zombieism. Yes, it it lots, it, lots it, of it, isms. Yeah, they get the big three though. Yeah, um, and and it does an interesting thing. I think smart s- cinematic wise, where they they connect. Uh, kind of voodooism and and witchcraft, they kind of merge those two those two things, which are not the same thing together. Um, mm-hmm. And and they they integrate that into both kind of the vampire and werewolf mythology. So they're thereby creating like a new mythology where those things are like it's almost like vampires and werewolves are offshoots of voodoo or something, which you know they are. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Which they are not. Um, so, you know, really, but okay. Um, uh, in traditional Vudan culture is, is what I'm trying to say. But um, I think that is the idea. Um, the the museum is housed in a building that belonged to, um, to uh, is it Mary Latour? Yeah, Marie Latour. Mar- Marie, Marie Latour, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> blanked on that one. Um, uh, who, who is, uh, was sort of the, the uh, it was a big deal in, in New Orleans, voodooism. Okay, and I do think that Marie Latour is very closely based on on uh, Marie Laveau, the so-called voodoo priestess of New Orleans, who was a real person mm-hmm. and who was a practitioner of voodoo and who was uh, a healer uh, and is is a, quite a cultural icon there as well. Who who was not of the Romani people? She was. Uh, uh, Cajun, I believe, or Creole, or, or she was, a, 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 you know, native of New of the uh, New Orleans kind of area, um, uh, Carib or, or something. If I if I miss if I miss nominating her, then I'm, I apologize. But yeah, um, uh, I do think it's very closely. I think there was a bit of an inspiration there. When you go to New Orleans, everyone goes to Marie Laveau's tomb, and there's all the three X's on it and everything. I've been there. I have photographs of it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, uh, but this, this tour is being given by John Abbott, who plays Peter the Guide, uh, and he's giving, you know, it's all this stuff about, you know, food and stuff like that. He, he, I think it's neat that he refers to people who are vampires as victims. He says, you know, victims of vampirism, meaning the actual vampires themselves, sort of denoting it as a bit of a disease, right? Or a curse, right. not, not, um, you know, uh, almost, almost like they're vam- more like vampires against their will. Like, like what we would think of, like, Lucy or or Mina in Dracula versus yeah. versus Dracula himself, um, um, and then again as as you, uh, you kind of mentioned, Chris, that that when we get to the voodoo room, they talk about uh, using voodoo uh, to to change from one form to another to shape shift, as you said, from mm-hmm. from human to to wolf, uh, uh, again, thereby kind of connecting us. So so. In a neat way, the the movie very quickly dispels with uh, full moons, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the werewolf in this in this movie can turn back and forth whenever they they so desire. Um, they kind of they they even mention silver bullets for a second and then and then laugh it off, like right. uh, when the cops are you know towards the end when they're after him stuff like that. So they kind of like they kind of throw that out as a bit of a like you know um, like uh, you know silver bullets. Um, <laughs> um uh and 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 just a lot of the you know the local mission but but they do connect uh the werewolf idea and and I'll use this word one time and I'm probably not going to use it word and gypsy culture um cuz 
if everyone who's listening podcast knows, I, gypsy is a, is an actual a bit of a slur, so I try not to use right. it. I'll use Romani, uh, Romani to some degree, yeah. um, and then I'll also. I, did, I was not I was not aware that we had many Romani tribes roaming around South New East. Orleans. Uh, yes, yeah, so, so, yeah, me either. I do. I don't. I don't know if that was really. <laughs> as as they say, I I don't know if that was a thing. It's almost universal in its ambiguity of are we are we in the yeah. United States? Are we in the twentieth century? Are we in the in I, the nineteenth century? I mean, we had mummies in New Orleans, so we might as well have right. have a, um, <laughs> uh, this. We're we're going to learn is this particular sect of Romani, this tribe, uh, calls themselves the Troiga. Uh, so I'm going to probably use Troiga quite a bit when yeah. I'm trying to describe the, these these folks in an effort to not uh, hurt anybody's f- uh, sensitivities because we we don't like doing that. Um, uh, uh, the, the the guide tells this whole story about uh, Marie Latour, who you know lived in the you know more I guess we call it like antebellum type era of 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 uh, the South, um, and all these sheep who who would be murdered, and this uh, this. Uh, guy named George Lafour Latour I should say uh who follows the tracks of the wolf all the way to his his wife's bedroom and mm-hmm. and there and thereby finds her and then realizes like you know his wife is the werewolf um and then and then she kills him which reminds me of if anyone out there is old enough to remember the 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 time life books like the the horror books the time life put out about like myths and superstition and 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 whatever um there's a there was a story in that i remember borrowing this from the library when i was in school um and i because i think this little bit of the story is based on an actual fable about a king who there's a wolf killing all these people in in um his kingdom and uh the hunters track it down and they trap it and, and it bites its own paw off and then they follow the trail of blood and they get to the queen's chambers and find out she's missing a hand. And that's how they know oh. she's the thing. So I feel like this was very, like, if everyone knows, like, the name of that myth or where its origins from, I could not find it. Um, but I, I distinctly remember I, reading that thing. Yeah, remember the books? Yeah. I remember my grandparents had those books. And uh, I don't remember that specific story, but I do remember the book. Those were, I, I when I was a graphic, when I was, a, I should say, a... a, a a comic book artist briefly and when i was studying in college i i picked that story to actually do like a, some drawings based on and stuff so yeah um i remember it uh 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 so so then you know th- there this is the the legend of, of marie latour the werewolf um werewolf actually comes from uh it, it it's W-E-R-W-U-L-F is the original version of werewolf. Um, mm-hmm. And werewolf is a more modernized spelling of the, the thing. Um, uh, <clears throat> the the guard or the, the tour guide reveals the painting of Marie Latour um, and then, you know, announces the museum's closing. And I would say the painting is, you know, if, if you're watching this and not wanting things spoiled, the painting's a pretty good giveaway of who the villain is in the, the story because the painting is is basically of Nina Fosh. I mean, she looks it looks quite a bit like her. So like her like, mother. It's yeah. her. It's of her mother, but it looks quite yeah. a bit like her. So obviously, I think they use her as reference. And you know, we never see Marie uh, her face, but uh, but yeah. So um, I think it does. You know, this whole setup. I think they did a really good job in setting the tone. You know what the story is. You know what the what the myths are. And, you know, and, and, you know, the tour guide at the end, the bell rings and he goes, okay, that's the last tour of the day. And so it, it kind of treated with, yeah, it's story and myth, um, mm-hmm. but it, a lot of it could be real. 
Yeah. You know. uh, well, it, it does a great job, I think, of setting up this little world that exists mm-hmm. within this little museum. There's a little subculture in this world, and in there, there's an older, you know, scientist and whose son who works with the government and is, you know, coming in. And there's we're going to meet Jan Sp- Sp- Spavero, who's, who's Spavero, uh, yeah, yeah, who's who's like the 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 caretaker who's got a limp. Um, uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna meet um, uh, Osa Masson, Osa Masson's Elsa pretty soon. Um, there's a little, there's a little subculture in here and, and most of the movie orbits around this little, you know, re- piece of real estate. It's great. Um, mm-hmm. and when you're telling a story, look, you know, I think it's probably evident to a lot of people watching this movie that they did not have a large budget. They probably did not have the budget of some of the even smaller universal films, it seems. Um, and so you can't have big casts of characters. You can't have, uh, all, all these different locations. You've got to keep things economic, both with mm-hmm. casting and locations and time, because that's all, you know, where your budget goes. So, you know, they're 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 doing this kind of parlor drama, like I said, just because you know that's how you shoot a movie in nine days or whatever, however twelve days, however long they had to shoot this movie. Um, uh, and then you have this cast of characters and stuff. So, so yeah. So, um, uh, Jan Spivero, uh, uh, he's going to ask permission from his boss, who's Doctor Charles Morris, um, <clears throat> to to leave early. Uh, uh, he's played by Ivan Trezalt, uh, who's in the mummy's ghost, uh, uh, again, and he was in the Batman series too. A lot of, a lot of these, a lot of actors we, we cover in this thing end up going on, you know, cause Batman had so many, you know, the, the Adam West series had so many like cast of characters and right. you know, villains and of the week and everything. So yeah, so he shows up in there. He's a great well, looking, he's amazingly cast. His, his look is incredible. But to that point, um, this, I don't mean get off on a tangent here, but it was really interesting. Um, you know, I'm I'm watching the film again, making my notes, and then last night I just felt like putting on an old Columbo, right? So I <laughs> I turned on Columbo, and it was uh it was the pilot episode they did called Prescription Murder. Oh wow! And there she was, Nina Fosh. She was oh the, Nina Fosh. She, yeah, she was the woman who was murdered in the first act, and I thought, well. I'm like that's serendipitous. Yeah, right. That's um, funny. And, and then again, I'm I'm a big Night Stalker fan. You know, mm-hmm. Kolchak, and uh, I put on an episode oh, yeah. after that. Didn't know she was in that episode. She's so in. She, that, was doing, she was doing a lot of TV. She's in following the 70s. around. Yeah, she worked a lot, and she she was uh, well known as an older woman, or you know, middle aged to, to older uh, right. actress. Yeah, she did. I think she did Gunsmoke. I think she did. You know, so many so many of those shows and stuff. Yeah. Um, this is really like towards that beginning of her career. Um, uh, uh, so so Jan uh, uh, asked permission to leave early, and he goes to to the. Uh, the Troiga camp. Uh, and he is, so, so the, 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 the plot device this thing orbits around mostly is Dr. Charles Morris, who runs the Marie Latour museum, uh, again, played by Fritz Lieber, um, uh, is his latest work is all about Marie Latour and it's all about her and the, the culture she comes from, I guess, yeah. And and the implication is that he, when he releases this work, you know, that he's nearing completion of, um, <clears throat> it's going to change a lot of the way people think about this stuff. It's going to shed light on a lot of things and stuff. Um, you know, good for science and 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 anthropology, possibly bad for the Troiga people. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so I think I think uh, I think uh, um, gosh, what's his name? I forgot the. Uh... The uh, the butler or the the groundskeeper guy. Oh, Jan. Um, 
Yeah, he's. I think he's a plan, right? So yeah, yeah. It seems it seems so, right? Yeah, I think yeah. I think so. I think he, per, he they got him that job where he got in there to keep an eye on things, and and he goes back to report that like, oh, you know, it's it's bad. It's as bad as we were worried <laughs> about it, and and you know something's going to have to be done. Um, so yeah, again, he goes to and he's you know he's really well he's really welcome back into the the Troiga camp you know he's he's like on a mission for them kind of you know he's he's not mm-hmm. a hero but you know uh, right um uh and so so the Troiga camp is all covered wagons and 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 everything and and all the women in the babushkas and scarves and the, the 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 gold medallion necklaces and stuff just like we would think of Maria Auspenskaya, you know right. in in, in, right in, out in of the, the Wolfman movies and stuff like that yeah. Wolfman, yeah yeah exactly um uh I, I I agree with you. I, I really am not. I, I've never heard of of this type of culture existing in the Bayou area of of, of our country. But well, it is a it secret was, tribe. It, it was a, yes, it was 1940s. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was 1940s, and and you know maybe they were they were trying to get away from what was happening in Europe at the time too. I think you could make an argument that you know maybe they, you know Marie Marie was a thing that was over here earlier, and then others have come. I don't know. Um, but again, I always, I, Livia and I were just talking about at the end of our last episode. It's like I think just the 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 the, the sort of zaniness of the, the idea of a culture like this existing in the American South is like it's the fun part of it. Like, of course, okay, like you know, mm-hmm. there's there's Romani in New Orleans. Sure, why not? Well, I've, wa- I've watched this film like twenty times, and and I I I don't get fixated on where it is. It, it almost does take you to. A- a very ambiguous storybook it's tr- place. It, it, it's true. They talk about New Orleans, but they don't really, like, you don't see New Orleans, New Orleans. It's not like they go and have, like, second unit or, you know, stock footage of the the squares and their French right. Quarter and, and you know, b- beignets and, and what have you, right? Um, and, not and not the French Quarter, I, I remember. Dr- drunk, I, drunk college guys. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to cut that out. Yeah. Um, um, but Elsa, I, I think she makes reference to um, being uh, being taken out of the harmful situation that was going on in Europe. Th- that's what, uh, yes, exactly. So um, um, she talks about Dr. On. Morris. Yeah, that's how yeah. Dr. Morris found her when she lived in Transylvania. They do drop Transylvania in the in the, in the, in the movie, so that's fun. Um, and was like, yeah, I decided maybe to get her out of there because it seemed like it wasn't going to be a good time for it, which is about the only very oblique reference this movie makes to the fact that yeah. World War II is raging at the at this point um, uh, when this movie comes out. Um, that and the fact that, that Bob Jr. Uh, is a chemist who works for the government. And I think that explains why Bob is here in the United States and not, you know, storming a beach in Normandy or or what have you. And, and you know, a film of this era sort of had to explain something like that to some degree. Oh, that's because true. I, I, yeah. think, I think in the culture, it was a little hard to root for a guy who was living here and not somewhere else. Yeah. Um, which, if you notice, almost all the other male characters in the movie are slightly older, or there's something a little odd about them, or something. They're not, uh, not four F, but they're kind of, Four-up, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah they kind of, they kind of have that feeling like you could understand why, whatever. Um, like also, the, yeah, also the movie's being made by whoever's not off fighting the war at the moment. I mean, this, it was a, we, you know, I haven't really gone into my whole spiel about horror movies being made during World War II in a few episodes, but you know. There was a big thing going on in our culture at the time, and you know some studios were still trying to crank out some of these movies for entertainment for everybody during the during the very incredibly unprecedented uh, unprecedented uh, difficult time in our Western yeah. culture. So, um, yeah, um, and then now there's Troiga people. 
um, uh, <laughs> um, uh, he he tells uh, so he meets the princess uh, uh, Nina Fosh uh, who played mm-hmm. who, who who also goes by the name Celeste and we don't um, until the end find out that she's Celeste Latour she is Marie Latour's daughter um, so uh, he tells her that that Marie, Marie Latour's final resting place has been found uh, and she declares that it will never be revealed so this is you know now we understand her the the quote i guess villains uh, of the of the film's uh motivation in in keeping yep. things quiet um which we don't even find that that we don't get the reveal of of where the 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 crypt is or her final resting place until you know late later in the movie too so, so the movie keeps us on in suspense on that a little bit yeah too, it does so. a good job of, of yeah. keeping it uh you're not quite sure where it is or what's going on yeah totally um uh so now also going undercover uh, uh celeste uh <laughs> goes to the museum and buys the ticket to the museum and, and her veil, well, which nobody yeah. would recognize her anyway right of course of course she's she's under uh, literally undercover um yeah. under a cover uh she uh so so while you know uh, the tour guide is, is giving his tour uh she sneaks off into the private study uh, room and she knows where there's a secret passage in the, in the fireplace. And she goes into that, that, uh, that fireplace. Um, uh, this is her first, uh, interaction with Elsa and those two, these two women are going to have a much closer relationship later on in the movie. Not, not like that, but yeah, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sisters. Um, yeah, yeah. They're going to be sisters. Exactly. Um, uh, Elsa's about to go to the airport to pick up Dr. Morris's son, Bob, who's coming in, who's flying in. They make a big deal about the fact that he's flying in on, on an airplane, which is, you know, a higher end way to travel at the time, obviously. Um, uh, so, so the idea is that he's an important person. Um, she has a little conversation with, with, uh, with Dr. Morris senior. Um, she sees this devil doll on his desk and she's alarmed by it. Now she's from Transylvania. Um, so while she is, I think she wants to be a scientist. She wants to, she emulate, emulate, like kind of walk in the footsteps of Dr. Morse. Um, she also has this, you know, she walks between two worlds. She also has this connection with the, the customs, uh, myths, you know, you know, right. you know stories of, of where she's from too. And she but recognizes. She's a, mo- she's a modern woman, but she's firmly rooted in the, yeah. in the stories of her past. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that's a, just a neat character. Um, I guess I, I don't understand how she understands voodoo being from Transylvania, but again, you know, we're just, we're going to move past it. <laughs> it's, it's all one. Um, but she sees this little devil doll, this little uh, totem on his desk. He said, Oh, someone left that for me. Um, and she's very unnerved by it. She's, she's doesn't think that's a good idea. She thinks, she thinks that's, uh, she sees that as a threat to Dr. Morse's life. And he, thinks it's amusing or maybe a prank or, or, or something. He doesn't take it seriously. Again, he's a man of science and he doesn't believe in this uh, supernatural baloney as the great David Manners put it one time. Um, uh, do a shot. Um, uh, so he won't let her call the police or, you know, he'll like investigate himself and, and he's going to try and figure out, and he's trying to finish this whole bit of study in time. So instead of going with her to, to meet the plane, he's going to send her along. He's going to stay behind and finish it, which is the last bad decision Dr. Morris makes. Bad decision, yeah. He should have gone to the airport. <laughs> should have gone to the airport. Definitely should have gone to the airport. Um, 
<clears throat> the cinematography in the movie, which sometimes can be a little flat and basic, because mm-hmm. again, I, I don't think that has anything to do with the talent of the people involved. I think that has to do with the the budget and the pace at which the filming was happening. Um, so it's it's a little hit or miss. There's some there's some scenes that it's sort of done just on a proscenium and these two people standing there talking to each other in a two shot. And there's never, there's never a cut in or coverage and whatnot, which there wasn't always, they didn't do as much of that back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. But it still is economical. And, and at times th- there are some scenes in the, in the film that, that feel a little Republic serial, you know, especially some of the cops and stuff, you know, you get this whole like, you know, bickering right. and stuff, you know, or again, like some of the, the latter and cheaper made uh, universals. Um, but then there's some scenes that really suddenly you're like, whoa, wait, hang on. What am I watching? And this scene where, where, where Dr. Morris is talking with, with, with uh, Elsa, um, you know, there's some nice over the shoulders here and, and, and they spend some time on Fritz Lieber's really fascinating face i mean he looks yeah yeah he does have a fascinating face <laughs> i mean i mean put it. yeah i mean it's just it's <clears throat> angular and sharp and he's got his pronounced nose and stuff he looks he looks kind of like an older basil rathbone um you know he's got these well, sharp features division. he's very lean yeah yeah a little iron <laughs> well was partially british so maybe i don't know um i guess um but uh but uh and he's also great he's a wonderful actor um uh here here i have the list of uh he played Caesar in uh, Theta Barra's cla- version of Cleopatra. Um, he was in the Lawton, the Charles Lawton version of Hunchback in 1939. And again, like I said, he played uh, Franz Liszt in the Brains version of, of Phantom. Um, he's just wonderful. And you're, you know, you're kind of like, this guy's going to die soon. Like, there's no way, <laughs> you know, like, like he's, he's set up. I mean, he might, he should be wearing a red shirt, right? I mean, right. You, know, you, you know, you, you're ahead of it. You know what's going to happen. Um, and it makes you a little sad because you're like, oh, I kind of, I kind of enjoyed watching him do his thing. And he's, he's humorous and he doesn't take himself seriously. You know, the character, Dr. Morris, he doesn't take himself totally seriously. You know, I think, I think yeah, it's, it's I like weird. his quote when he's like, look, I've put a lot of time and she, she wants to call the police cause she's worried about the devil doll. And he goes, no, yeah. no, I'm, I'm, I've been doing this for a long time and I want to take all the credit for myself. So, you know, let's, let's not call the police right now. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly. You know, he's, he's a, you know, he's a scientist. This is how he's, yeah. he's going to make his bones. Um, uh, he's headed out, uh, uh, and he's going to go, uh, in, into his study and we meet, um, the, there's a, there's a cat that lives in the, the, uh, on the property. Um, and, and I, I can't remember, they, I, they mentioned his name and I don't know if I Millie? caught it. Is it what? It's like Millie. Is it Millie? I thought it was like Titan or something. I don't know. Oh, well. Um, yeah, it's, it's Millie, I, it's I believe. Millie. Okay. Um, well, and the cat is going to factor into a couple things and stuff. And the cat almost sort of helps like solve the crime just a little bit. So um, in the end and stuff, it's, it's an important character in the story. And but I you know wanna... something bad's going to happen when you, when the cat is like, yeah. like it's making the noises and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they do a good job of, of the cat noises. I don't know if they, they, I think they found a real cat to make noises as opposed to Black Cat 41 where they obviously had someone making making really strange noises. Yeah, and you're like, I guess it's supposed to be a cat. All right, you know. Yep. Um, but they do have, I believe, someone who who, who did both the off camera screams for for Doctor Morris and um and is it the one guard who dies or someone else who? Oh no no it's Yawn who and when Yawn dies when off Jan, screen too and I think yeah. it's it might even be the same guy screaming <laughs> the same thing and stuff like that. And it's it's sort of. I mean, it's 
I guess kind of real and it's kind of hideous. And but you know, it's, it's funny. Like, I, I don't a, recall a many many men screaming in the in in these no movies. It's really yeah. kind of a a one off. Like I don't recall. It's it's almost exclusively yeah. women who scream. So that was kind of interesting, you know. With the exception of the young archaeologist in the Mummy, right, right at the beginning, where he just you know lets out that that you know. Oh yeah. But but I, I guess it's it's considered unmanly, so you wouldn't have a lot of men screaming. But but I find it, I think it's really effective when a man screams. You know something really is you know, it's bad. Yeah, bad. <laughs> you know, right. Um, but I you know just for, uh, Fritz Lieber just reminds me of of basically of Alec Guinness in Star Wars. Right, he's just this older, very celebrated actor who is who's doing this kind of, you know, for the time kind of what was considered just a goofy little genre picture but he comes right. at it with utter seriousness and and again you're you're sorry he he, he dies and he does well i think screen. i think he does a good job of bringing you into the story and yes. suspending your disbelief and and this guy is legit and he's soft-spoken and he's mm-hmm. not over the top and he's not frantic right. he's just very sensible yeah, man chewing like, the scenery oh, okay. yeah 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 it's great he he, le- he leaves the chewing the scenery off to the cops and stuff later on in the movie so yeah <laughs> you know um uh, the, the, uh, tour guide guy, and I'm blanking on his name. It's, uh, Peter. It's Peter. Yeah. Peter, um, um, Peter comes, uh, to, to investigate hearing the screams and obviously sees something that, that he wasn't meant to see because, uh, and Peter's another one where like, you know, they kind of set him up in the beginning, these first couple minutes in the movie, like he's going to be just a character we hear and, you know, and, and, and spend time with in the movie. And, um, and he basically goes out of the movie right about here because whatever he sees, the character, it, his mind snaps. Um, yeah, and, it, and it's, it's quite creepy. I mean, yeah, yeah. There's a great moment where the, yeah, the guy shines a flashlight and you just see him stumbling to him like a zombie and his face is all, you know, pallid and everything. Yeah, it's a neat. Uh, the movie has a few moments where you're just like, oh, that's actually kind of unnerving. That's actually pretty, yeah. you know. It, I, it's have, got a, I have a big note on that. Yeah, there's, yeah, a, there's a couple a shots. Yeah. Really, really good. So if you can kind of suspend your whatever getting through, you know, some of the more, we'll call them the pulpy elements of the movie, um, yeah. uh, you're going to be treated to a couple really, really, really nice moments. Um, uh, so so the, the uh, enter uh, a, a police detective um, and it, the, 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 Okay, if I have this right, the police, the detective's name is Lieutenant Barry Lane, and mm-hmm. he's and he's played by the actor Barton McLean. So Barton McLean plays Barry Lane, and I, I was we were saying when we were prepping for the episode, uh, Chris and I were like, like that must have just been confusing on the call sheet. Like, okay, um, you don't know if it's like they just took his name and changed it just enough. Um, I wonder if he lived on Penny Lane. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, uh, again, uh, he was what in many, many things, but most notably for, for us, he was uh, also played the inspector in the mummy's ghost. Mummy's ghost is one where they try and build the big pit for the mummy, right. I think. Right. And then, and then the mummy just doesn't walk in it. So it was kind of a lot of effort for not much. Um, uh, he's a little more effective in this. Uh, so he's on the job. Um, and, uh, you know, the, in, in the first, instance what we're gonna you know see is that they found they found fingerprints on the inside of this secret passage when uh, when the police responded and found the thing so um the the main suspicion uh, uh, suspicion of of lieutenant barry lane is that it was a woman responsible and he instantly 
I mean, I guess just based on the fact that she's almost the only woman around, uh, starts suspecting Elsa. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting, though, and I've always wondered this, uh, that you could tell sex by someone's fingerprint. I, so I looked, I looked it up, and they can now for the certain amino acids in your... Oh, okay. The oils of your skin. But that didn't come around to like 25 years after this film was made. Oh, really? <laughs> Lieutenant Barry sure Lane was tell. ahead of his time. There you go. Yeah. Maybe he was Playing. Maybe, maybe he's a better detective than we, we give him credit for. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, but it, it's also the, the whole um, <laughs> thing we, I talk about, about cops in the era, like just deciding who they want the culprit to be and then and then being frustrated with it that the evidence won't just line up to let them arrest who they feel like arresting um, yeah. it's it's yeah. sort of a cart before the horse detective work which i don't think you're allowed to do that now luckily do you, Ho- hopefully do you not think, but you never know do you think he plays uh, you know we always talk about this when these detectives you know when they, sometimes they play it really straight like they're straight and they're in the wrong movie he he kind of walks that tight rope mm. um because he's got uh, he he's got a really good delivery. He's got a good sense of humor, and so I know yeah. it's played straight, but he still jokes around a lot about. Well, you know, he's cynical. <laughs> yes, yeah, he plays straight, um, and he's got he's got like a slow deputy assistant who's played by Robert B. Williams, who, Homer. Yeah, Homer, who yeah. um, who really like we get to see like. He, it, it's like they just tagged him with this guy, and he's like just an albatross around his neck, and he's just frustrated <laughs> like a lot. By, right. by having to work with with this guy Cause, and the guy is very a bit of a numb nut he really is like not right. the sharpest guy and he almost shoots him at the end of the movie it's like why are you shooting so you know you're right like we kind of get the best of both worlds where we get like you know kind of an effective police detective which is not always the case we talk about like so many times like the police in these movies have to be they have to be by nature kind of like inept and goofy so that the lead actor whoever who's not a cop gets to be the one who solves the crime, like in right. monster and the girl or like in, uh, we were just talking about it in, um, in, in, uh, calling Dr. Death. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but so he gets to be serious, but then he gets to like wisecrack. Yeah. And he's got good dialogue too. He's got kind of pulpy, goofy dialogue. There's a, there's, he has the line at the end here. I wrote it down. He's got the line at the end of the movie. He says, now that you've crept into a crypt, do you mind creeping back down again? <laughs> Yeah. it's just um there's a have, lot of there's a g- lot of great pulpy dialogue i think that, uh, yeah. as as they're moving through with these fingerprints you know there's there's the guy at the station that he keeps talking to pinky pinky he's like, yeah look, he's like look the prints don't jive they don't, they don't drive i thought that was really funny too yeah pinky has a <laughs> thing i'm not sure who, what the idea of naming pinky was it's really funny um uh griffin jay and charles o'neill obviously having having some fun with this dialogue they get to and you know i always say i i love it when when my horror meets my like pulp noir detective mm-hmm. stuff like i'm i'm thrilled it it i you know makes a great combination um uh return to dr x you know uh mystery right. of the wax museum all all those it, i i love it um well to your point earlier about how you know they, they they did this on a budget and it's kind of a parlor you know for sure mystery yeah. but they 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 covered a lot of it with incredible lighting and great moody atmosphere um and that's one of the reasons i love this movie so much is because it really is steeped in there's the the backgrounds are always dark and yes they're they're lit from underneath all the time and yeah it's it's nice it's nice it's nicely shot it really holds up um you know that you 
and and I, I was saying earlier how like you know I like well, talk look, talking about movies like this because you know in my career as a filmmaker you know these movies are made on the budget the type of budget that comparably I make films on now I don't make big budget films I'm I make mo- modest uh, budget movies that are usually independently financed so you know um, I first of all have an appreciation for what the filmmakers have to accomplish based on what resources they have for a movie like this. Uh, they don't, they don't, they can't spend an entire day filming Lon Chaney Jr. Transforming into a werewolf. There's not that time to, to do that on a movie like this. You know, they didn't have the budget of, of the Wolfman. So, you know, um, but, but what I do like seeing is, is that, you know, where they were economical in some places where, you know, it's just two people talking, you don't have to go crazy with it, just film the scene, get it done. And then mm-hmm. spend some time on the other stuff that really counts. Like when later on, when, when Bob is down in the basement of the, the. Oh yeah. Mausoleum, whatever it is, the, 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 the funeral parlor, like that, they yeah, took time scenes, on that and they made com- that. Those, yeah. They yeah, sold that. That's great. With anything Val Luton did in, in RKO. That's, yeah, Absolutely. Incredible. I, I, I think possibly the, the film's weakest point uh, is is that it's, if you go on IMDb, you can see like all the music is basically stock music that they, they were, you know, used by, by a variety of different composers and stuff. You know, if, if, the, if this had had a, a, a Hans Salter, you know, at least engineered score, even if it was cobbled together from The Mummy and, you know, Wolfman and right. Son of Frankenstein and stuff like that, still, um, I think that really would have served the film. I, I, do, I do think the not the lack of music, but the music just doesn't jive to use a phrase uh, <laughs> yeah. as well with, as it, as it could with some of the things. And I, I do think that's, you know, one of the detriments in the movie, but Hey, you know, um, uh, so the, the court, so the coroner pinky, uh, he says the hairs that under, under Dr. Morris's nails were from a wolf. So now there's the, the wolf idea floating around. Um, uh, again, again, McLean, uh, 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 Lane su- suspects Elsa. Um, I don't know if par- possibly because she's also like a foreigner. <laughs> I don't know if that has f- <laughs> factors into it or, or what. Um, uh, but but Elsa is helping Bob experiment uh, to to infrared photograph the, the burn pages. So I, I neglected to mention that when Bob and and Elsa get there, they find that uh, the manuscript Doctor Morse senior was working on has been burned in the fireplace There's, you know um so they're trying to attempt to save anything they can and, and he's doing this whole thing where he, he's infrared fo- photographing the burned pieces of paper and it's a very delicate operation where if you breathe too hard or anything you're going to scatter these papers and they're absolutely delicate um mm-hmm. which of course you know lieutenant lane wanders in the thing and blows them <laughs> everywhere and stuff you know of course but uh um uh, so she's helping him. So, so Elsa, uh, the other subplot is that Elsa, obviously, Elsa and Bob have grown up together. Elsa was a little bit younger than him. So he's always thought of her as a sister. But Dr. Morris Sr. knows that she adores him uh, and has a big crush on him. And as the film goes on, we're going to obviously see that that Bob is... <laughs> In a very short space, Bob stops thinking of her as his sister and starts thinking of her as a, her as a potential life partner. And that that happens in about like three or four steps while they're walking together. So yeah, obviously, I don't think it came out of nowhere. I think it, you know. Anyway, um, uh, so yeah, they're experimenting. Lieutenant Barry Lane comes in, uh, and and he's you know they're they're talking about the 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 trying you know trying to suss out what happened to his dad. Um, 
And he's got this line like, am I interfering with your work? And Bob says, no, not at all. I mean, except for that thing 30 seconds ago, right? Where he blew all the work <laughs> of his dad's Erased hours thing. worth of work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, except for that, right? Um, I guess he's a cop. He's trying to be respectful. Um, he's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think, I think Osa Masson is, I mean, she's beautiful in this movie, obviously. Um, I don't, you know, I was watching her just, she, she kind of jolts me out of the movie, I, I will say. Um, yeah, she does. She definitely does. She, I she's, think it's her delivery. I think it's her delivery. I think it's 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 almost a Lugosi thing where I think she's she's honestly struggling with. It's not even just you know the language. It's not even the words she's trying to say. It's it's the the mannerism of being yeah inflection. Yeah, it's the mannerism of of an American. She does not have, and she's you know, I, we talk about like she's kind of acting in a slightly different movie until until she gets kind of possessed and turned into a bit of a monster herself and then like that all works great right you know that it, it seems like it seems like once we get to that point and she she can stop being just normal lady yeah uh, uh elsa uh we're, we're most okay. of the movie she's trying to be the girl next door from transylvania yes the girl next door from <laughs> transylvania right exactly and and it's it's like if she was just a little more awkward even or if the film acknowledged that she was awkward socially because of her customs and her background uh that would be fine, but it's almost like it. The movie's trying to sell her as just you know, oh yeah, no, she's just you know, the, this this lady, but she's from Transylvania. Like like it it does sort of make it a little rocky. But hey, you know, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I have, I have a note: the quickly growing, very quickly growing relationship between Bob and Elsa. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but here's where we find out that Doctor Morris like basically found her in 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 Transylvania and got her out of there before all the troubles really started happening. AKA World War Two, um, AKA Nazis, AKA you know um, the Russians, what have you? Because I mean, if you were uh, and and she's not Romani, but but you know, speaking of that, if if you were Romani at the time, um, you were honestly no better off. I mean, you were. Mm-hmm. Your life was in danger from the Nazis, and then once yep. the Russians took over, your life was in danger from Stalin at, at the same time. So it didn't it didn't much matter, uh, right. really. Your 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 life wasn't worth a whole lot to to those people, those enterprises. So, um, might as well live in New Orleans, dude. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, uh, Lieutenant Barry Lane gets. A, I just like saying Lieutenant Barry Lane. Lieutenant Barry Lane gets a, gets a call, uh, and he and he answers it. And Jan, the the caretaker, kind of sneaks out at him, and he almost shoots him. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I love that. He's 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 on the phone, and the door's creaking up. But yeah. he's like, "Come out of there!" Well, you, well, you you, you, th- you think it's a monster <laughs> thing where the guy's sneaking up on someone, and he just turns around. He's totally was waiting for it. Like he's, yeah. he was on it. So again, Lieutenant Barry Lane is is good at his job. Yeah. Uh, this is where we learn that Jan is also from Transylvania, um, uh, from the the homeland, uh, <clears throat> which which the word the name Transylvania means beyond the the forested mountains. So yeah, there we go, uh, f- home of the Borco Pass, obviously in the, in the Carpathians. Uh, um, the uh, <laughs> um, Jan. So, oh oh so so he gets yeah yeah Jan so. Uh, but uh, Lieutenant, this is where yeah Lieutenant Barry Lane gets gets the 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 call and gets the results that the the fingerprints do not ma- match Elsa's because he's already sent Homer to like secretly break into her place and steal her passport to fingerprint it which without a warrant again yeah. I'm pretty sure well, maybe he does pretty sure it wasn't maybe he legal maybe he's got maybe he's got the warrant yeah um, but uh, 
I, I think I thought of war and you have to serve it to somebody, but I don't know. And it's also, it's the South in the 40s, so who the hell knows? Uh, whatever. Uh, um, but this is where they find out that the, the prints don't match. So Elsa, for the moment at least, is is cleared of any uh, suspect of, of wrongdoing. Um, uh, yeah, but then he turns his suspicion to Jan. Then, then he's, he goes, he's he's already, he just moves to the next, female, the next the Transylvanian, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but yeah, then he, yeah, again, again, it's this whole thing of like just deciding he's got to find someone guilty and he'll just figure out a way to make it prove that they're guilty or not. He's less concerned about the actual delivery of justice. Um, uh, uh, yeah, Bob, Bob and Elsa have a walk together and, you know, Bob is, it's, and, you know, again, these movies are an hour long. This isn't a criticism. It's just a, it's a note of, how these movies short, work that when someone short courting yes and, and also when someone close to somebody dies they they definitely seem to get over it very quickly they do <laughs> so you know so bob is very much over his dad passing away uh uh you know i mean it seems like even someone mentioning it would like you, you know you'd be like oh that's right oh gosh you know when you know when you've just lost someone you you care about a whole lot but maybe yeah i mean maybe he respected his dad maybe they weren't that close you never know um uh but yeah, and 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 they have established that Bob is a is a chemical engineer in uh, Washington D.C. So the implication is he works; he's doing something important for the government, and he's having to take some time off to deal with this this little family tragedy. Um, uh, possibly, you know, with his dad gone, maybe this this is what spurs him to say, like, you know, Elsa, how about you marry me and come back to D.C. with me? And she's like, dude, okay, I'm all, mm-hmm. I'm in there. Like, she's all aboard. She's great. Yeah, um, I'm already there. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's great. Uh, I have a note about how important the sound of crickets are to selling black and white, uh, uh, film where they're supposed to take place at night. Cause where they're walking, it's, you know, <laughs> you know, the speeds were, you know, the, 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 the camera speeds of the, uh, the speed of the stock, the ability to shoot in darkness was really limited at this point, especially yeah. on a, on a smaller budget. You did not have the money for all the huge lights and stuff. So you do what honestly I do now and, and, and film like you, you do what's called day for night where you filter right. down the lens, the camera. Um, nowadays we do a lot of stuff in post. Um, and if you're careful about it, you can make a daytime shot look kind of like it's at least eve- evening, you know, if not pure nighttime. Um, mm-hmm. But what really helps is adding the sound of crickets because obviously he's like, oh, well, it must be night. <laughs> yeah, there, exactly. There's, there's crickets. So there we go. It must be night. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh uh, they move off, and we f- we see they're being watched by Jan, uh, who further sneaks into uh, the, uh, the 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 Latour house. Um, there's a nice little note where there's a policeman uh, who's been left on guard at the Latour house, and he's sitting there reading, and his badge has the 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 uh, crescent and star that is very much uh, associated with like Louisiana and the parishes and, and New Orleans and stuff. So there's a nice little detail on his huh. uniform. I'm just saying, it's not like he's wearing like a cowboy Western star badge and stuff. It, right. it actually looks like, yeah. Um, so there we go. Uh, Louisiana is, is broken up into not counties parishes uh, for parishes, anyone else. Yeah. Anyone else who's not, not aware of that. These are your, these are your extraneous facts that, you know, you just get for free while you're listening to werewolf talk um, <laughs> on the episode. Uh, uh, um, uh, so he, he investigates and here's, here's where our cat buddy shows up, um, while Jan is sneaking into the, the laboratory, uh, the cat hisses at him and he, he hides and he almost takes out a knife. He almost has to stab the policeman, uh, but the policeman gets the cat out safely and closes the door and leaves him to, to do what he's there to do, which is to further destroy all of the restoration work 
uh, Bob and, and Elsa are doing. So, you know, just to, just to prove that, um, or just to, just to, just to cover further the, to make sure that there's no possibility that all this information ever gets disseminated to the public. Right. So, but so. as any good secret agent, <laughs> he slips up. Well, he leaves, he leaves, he leaves like a, ha- a full handprint, yeah, which was, handprint wasn't, wasn't great. And then also it seems like they, they're aware that he was limping and like maybe he was because his, his one foot drags when he walks. Um, mm-hmm. I, it, I guess there were like, you know, marks on the floor and stuff. So they're very, and they identify and they're like, no, it's, it's, it's that guy. So Jan is, you know, while trying to serve his princess, uh, he outs himself, uh, as, as not only the, you know, the guy who broke into a place and, and burned a bunch of stuff. Um, but also, uh, was like likely connected to the killing of, of, uh, Dr. Morris senior. So, um, <clears throat> The, the, the tribe that the tribe frowns on that yes yeah yeah this and this you know while he was doing this for the the troy troy troyiga people um uh the, this 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 slip up shall we say uh uh puts him in trouble and so he he we next we see him he's actually back at the tribe's campsite um and he's begging the princess to to let him hide he says he'll go away they'll never connect him and stuff um but she says, you know, know that she, she basically sentences him to death. Uh, <laughs> she says, your, you know, your body will rest where, where the, the same place as all of our, our other uh, ancestors. <clears throat> and he takes off. And then this is the first time we see a great shot where, where it, it kind of uh, uh, pans away from Celeste. And we see her kind of mm-hmm. hunched down and we see the shot or her shadow turn in the shadow of a wolf. Uh, um and then, and then the next we see a, a wolf is chasing over the, <laughs> the the bayou slash Southern California countryside, and <laughs> and uh, and uh, and and Jan, uh, Jan, who's obviously at a disadvantage, trying to run away from the wolf because he has the limp and he can't go too fast. So, um, right. But uh, this scene again, back at back to the scene where he's begging for his life, and um, Nina Fosh is lit amazingly. Uh, you know he's he's just lit incredibly. That uh, Ivan, uh, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Ivan Ivan Trisalt just had uh, just bone structure, like really like his, his eyes were really sunken and 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 bulging and stuff. I mean, it's almost not not quite to like a Dwight Fry kind of thing, but like right. he, he's really desperate and going for it. And the the lady playing the older uh, uh, Troiga lady, um, he's just driving him crazy. She's just <laughs> like wow. You know, nah, you know, what you shouldn't shouldn't have done, it should have left his handprint, yeah. whatever, you know. So um uh, what do they do they refer to her as the old one? I don't know. Does she have a name? I can't remember. I, I, I don't know. I, be, I believe it's Bianca and I believe the actress's oh, okay. name is Blanche Yurka. Yeah. I believe. Um uh but you know, it's it's interesting. Jan it's like Jan knows what the result of this meeting is gonna be anyway before right. he even starts and he's just you know, it's it's interesting seeing he's he's a full grown man and he's begging for his life from a woman. Right. Um, mm-hmm. it helps Nina, Nina Fosh is quite tall. Um, but she plays it just so she's not happy to do this, but this is, you know, I, I, I think Celeste, uh, this is her job. Her job yeah, she, is as the princess of her people is to do she, these things. Yeah. She, she's determined and she's confident. And, uh, I think she plays a great role in this. You I mean, she, you could tell that she enjoyed it. Yes, she, yeah, she and perfect. took it seriously, you know, really, really, like, you know, leaned into it. Um, 
Uh, I mean, she, she's she's great in Return of the Vampire as well, but she's she's wonderful in this. Uh, she gets to really more and she, doing Return of the Vampire with with uh, with uh, Cat Herons, uh We were talking about her, and I was like, okay, this I really want to do Cry the Werewolf now because um, I was really captivated by her performance in that, and I knew she had a bigger role in this, so it was really fun to 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 finally like re embrace this and, and lean into it, man. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, Jan's body is found, uh, having been, uh, killed by a wolf. And there's also some news reports about wolf, you know, uh, activity in the area, which I'm sure even in the South in 1944 was probably a bit of a rarity. So yeah, that's, you know, that's newsworthy. Um, uh, oh, I, I skipped over. There's a moment where she is, uh, you know, laying in, in, in the older woman's lap afterwards. And she's, she's so, she's heartbroken. She's upset she had to do this. So she's not, you know there's a moment where we do see the, the doubt and the, the sadness with that comes with the job she has to do, you know, that she, that she inherited, right. She didn't, it wasn't right. like she, she ran for election to be princess of her people. When her mom died, she became the princess and that, that was just it. So, um, you know, she, she is sort of cursed by the birth and this is where she says, you know, um, I'm my, my mom was a werewolf and I'm the daughter of a, of a werewolf and I'm a werewolf. So, yeah. Um, and there's no, uh, there's no need to explain again, like from the beginning, like I said, like where they, they, they just mix in the shape shifting in with talking about voodoo and, 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 and everything. Um, there's no need to explain how she came to be a werewolf. If, is it genetic? Is it wherever? Like you just accept, you're like, oh, well, you no, just she, accept that she her is. mom's a werewolf. She's, she's, she's a werewolf. You know, maybe it's just something that happens. Maybe it's something, but, but she has full control over it. She only turns into a werewolf when she, or into a wolf, I should say, when she wants to. She, it's not, it's totally the different things. And I just admire that they, 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 Columbia purposely went a different route for this than the wolf right. man. And, and probably all, all the tropes of, of werewolfery yes. are not in here. All, all the all the Siodmak mythology, yeah, right? Which which, which 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 Mac mostly made up, you know, uh, uh, yeah. full moon. Um, w- except for the full moon bit, which which obviously we goes back to the Henry Hall, uh, uh, yeah. uh, Werewolf of London movie. Um, yeah, just totally totally avoiding that. Um, uh, <clears throat> there's an inquiry about uh, Jan's death, and uh, uh, Celeste is is brought there. Um, and she's she's sort of questioned a little bit, um, and she lies and she says like, "Oh, he really wasn't one of our people. He was, you know, uh, we we t- when we found out about him, we told him to go away and stuff." So they're the 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 Troiga are really working to, you know, <laughs> create a create a division between them and and this guy who is now suspected of of murder and everything. They're trying to they're trying to keep their hands clean out of it. Um, right. It's the whole thing. If, you know, if you fail at your mission, we don't know who you are. <laughs> yeah. You will be disavowed. Yeah. The secretary will disavow. And he, that's basically <laughs> what it is. Right. Um, uh, um, uh, this is where we do hear, we do learn that, um, this, their sect of, of Romani people are called the Troika and, and, um, Bob is allowed to get up and ask her some questions directly based on what he's been trying to piece together from, uh, the, the notes that they were able to save from, from his dad's writing. Um, and we learn, uh, about this custom they have where anybody who in their tribe who dies anywhere during the year, um, uh, they, they send, they send them somewhere, which we find out is a, this funeral parlor and keep them on ice until, the the what they call the the twelfth month, which I assume 
in in their calendar is December as well as ours. Uh, and then they're all buried together somewhere secret. We never really learn where the secret place they bury all their people are. We learn where Marie Latour is buried, but we never learn where all the people are buried. But um, right, they have a contract with this funeral home to yeah, store yeah, exactly. all their dead for a year. <laughs> right, and then they, amazing. Then they oh, take we have them to some undisclosed location. We have coolers for that. Yeah, yeah. you know. Um, uh, but um, but you know, while, while Celeste has sort of skated through the official inquiry, Bob kind of puts her on the spot. Um, uh, and he starts, you know, asking her more questions and she's, you know, comfortable, uh, answering, uh, uh, you know, with all, with, with the officials there. And the older woman does this whole thing where she, once, once, once Celeste is on the spot, she gets up and, and pretends to faint and like they, they canceled the whole thing and stuff like that. Yeah, so perfect timing. It worked. I mean, it totally got her off the hook. She, she was about to start, you know, revealing too much about, about them. Um, the very thing that she's doing all these things to try to not, not do, man. Um, yep. uh, but but discovering that they bury their dead or whatever like that, he investigates the funeral home where they they go. And I didn't write down the name of the actor who plays the funeral home director. He's really wonderful. Um, oh yeah, I've I've got him. If you hear me, I got some notes here. <laughs> his, and, yeah, Russell, Russell, Russell. His name Russell. is Milton Parsons. And, Milton and Parsons. This dude, this dude, you know, he's got such a unique look, and he's been in a lot of movies. I could like hold that ghost, you know, Abbott Costello. Oh, he's really? Been in Charlie Charlie Chan films. Mm. Um, there's a couple Warner Brother uh, old Dark House movies from the 40s. Oh, right. Hidden Hand, Whispering Ghost. So he always plays kind of the, the creepy, type, yeah. creepy family member. He plays you know? the whole thing with his wonderful tongue in cheek. He never winks at the camera. He nope. never he never gives it away that he's 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 being funny, but he's right. he's really funny to watch, and he's really just I mean you know there's just this trope of like somebody who works in a in an Undertaker's is going to be a little bit on the on the macabre and morbid side, yeah. um, but he there's never looks like there's voices in his head. Yes, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but there's never any kind of you know never throw it out. He just. He's so he's actually so friendly. That's what's unnerving about him. It's like, oh, oh, yeah. You you wouldn't yeah. guess where he he works. Um, yeah. My my brother actually works in a funeral parlor part time now. He's he's semi retired and uh, and he's a funny guy too. So I guess you know there's plenty of you know, room for for that. Um, does he store Does he store his lunch in the uh, in the? No, yeah, no. <laughs> apparently, apparently, he does. I brought ham on rye. He does. He dri- he drives the hearse sometimes, though. So you know, <laughs> everyone says like of the of the, t- of the two members of him and me, like they're surprised that he's the one who works works at a funeral parlor. They would have thought that would have been me, but that's how life works out, everybody. Um, uh, uh, he's he's good. He's there. He's there at viewings and stuff, and I think he's there to just help people and answer questions and stuff. And he's he's a good guy for that. So I think it's a good fit. Anyway, um, and he doesn't have like a lip piercing or <laughs> purple hair or anything. He's 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 the normal one in the family. So yeah. Um, anyway, shout out Chip Towns. Anyway. Um, uh, so, so Bob's asking him all these questions and the, and the funeral parlor director kind of appropriately is like, well, I can't give you all the information of these people who are my customers. Why would I do that? (laughs) Like, you're just a dude. You're not, you know, he's all year writing a book. Okay. Like that's fine. But yeah, exactly. This is privileged information. You wouldn't want someone giving your name away to people. Um, but but then there's a knock on the back and 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 the guy has a gray mo oh that's the rear entrance we we're having a delivery <laughs> which is just or something like that which is really funny um uh and it turns out to be the troika people and they're bringing yawn so while they have just 
you know, very publicly in front of probably having been sworn in or something like that, said that John wasn't part of their thing. Now they're actually bringing his body in to, right, to have right. it, you know, put put on ice to along with all their other folks. Um, and and the funeral parlor director is like, oh well, that's funny. There's a guy here asking about you guys, and they're like, oh, and this is John, and, and she's like, can you keep it down a little bit? <laughs> There's like a whole. Um, this is a it's a fun sequence here because. When, think, when he goes downstairs into the yeah well we're i think we're all waiting for bob to meet celeste you know the, right. these two you know the main protagonist and our main antagonist and and the film is like you know we're we're more than halfway through and they have not except for briefly at this official meeting they've not really met um uh so the, the film project director is like oh i'm gonna go introduce you to to you too and he can ask you questions and on the way celeste notices that the door to the understairs where, where the funeral directors has said, like, that's where we keep our records is slowly sliding shut. It's this big metal door and it's slowly sliding shut. So she's, we see that she's aware that, that, that he's gone down there surreptitiously to look up records himself. Um, and it's a great steel door. I assume it's, so it's, I think it's an elevator. Oh, well, well, there is an elevator. I think that's a door, but I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know. Um, uh, just a great piece of, of art direction. And then she turns around and lowers her shawl and you're like, yeah. Oh, and I think the thing we, we notice is that it's kind of a cue that I don't know if Nina Fosh devises or, 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 or Henry, Henry Levin, you know, directed her that whenever she's, her shawls kind of off her shoulders is when she's ready to turn into a werewolf or something like that's her prep or cue oh, or something like that yeah i've noticed whenever you see her back forth and stuff like that the shawl's down when it's time for and she's just got her the white blouse shirt and stuff doesn't uh, want to ruin it maybe know, i think exactly takes maybe that's it the thing. i mean we don't explain what happens to all her clothes when she turns the wolf and turns back into a person and stuff but it's 1944 yeah. and i think we just have to you know give give them give them a pass for that obviously um so her having found out that he goes to he's gone down in the basement uh she follows him turning into a wolf and in this gray moment, again, you, you keep, you keep quoting Val Luden. I think you're so right on with something like cat people or even uh seventh yeah. victim or something. Uh, we have like her heels echoing as she's stalking him. And then the, the, the sound of the heels goes away and we see pause now mm -hmm. instead uh, uh, following him. So um, yeah, it's just a great, it's, it, you know, you know, Bob's with the records. He's lighting himself just by his little lighter thing. Yeah. And the lighter thing is a good element because it kind of plays into something just towards the end. And, and he turns and he sees the wolf and we have this great little cat and mouse moment where he's dodging around and trying to hide from it. And he sees the wolf moving from, you know, between the vaults, shelves, uh, freezers, whatever, yeah, if you right. were in and stuff. Um, really harsh lighting. I always talk about like really enjoying when these films get really black and white, not gray, just like blacks and whites, like these yeah. real high key things. Um, uh, just fantastic. It just, yeah. And suddenly it doesn't look like a 1944 movie. Suddenly it looks like the old dark house or something in, in 32 or three or whatever, you know, like, mm -hmm. like we have this thing. And I think the music does serve the purpose really well right here. So I, it's a, it's, a, it's I mean, legitimately, it, there's it's like a legitimately creepy. Scene. Yeah, exactly. It's, I think it, so. It's, it makes you, like go okay get, get the hell out of there <laughs> right 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 yeah and also like also like if you're trying to hide maybe put out your lighter like <laughs> just saying uh uh it's great and you're still a little fuzzy like i'm pretty sure that's celeste but you're also kind of like man it doesn't she seems to be able to bounce back and forth between uh quickly yes yeah place to place to place Super, so by the time yeah. he gets back up you know, once he gets away, by the time he gets back up, she's waiting for him again, she's back in the human for form. Him. Yeah. So, so there is this idea of like, you know, there's something 
actually supernatural about her. Not just that she can shapeshift into a wolf or not. There's something maybe just a little extra normal uh, about her abilities. So, so it's really, you know, he turns around and there she is like bang right there. It's great. And yeah, the lighting is beautiful. It's just, you know, this is great. They were like, it's not quite covering like just the top of his head is a little bit in shadow and stuff. It's just, it's, it's atmospheric and really, really something. Um, and, and Stephen Crane is good, really good in these scenes. And he's good when he, so, so then he, she invites him back to her camp to, uh, she asked for a ride back to her camp. He's trying to find out all about, you know, the, the Troiga. And she's like, Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about it. Why don't you come back on back to my camp? Um, and she's, you know, she's working him. I mean, she's really yeah. working him, obviously. Yeah. Um, uh, Celeste oh, has Celeste. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Celeste has no interest in Bob Morris, you know, as a romantic partner. Uh, and she even says later on that she's she cannot have a human partner. She's forbidden for any of that. Um, so she's working him, and and the next we see he's sitting in her, her in her in her covered wagon with her, uh, chatting her up. And you you almost you almost go like, whoa, wait, Bob, what's going on? Because like you know he was crazy about Elsa. But then he obviously seems very smitten with her. Um, and I admit, like, having not seen this movie for a while, I was kind of like, oh, it's really like, they really kind of just maybe overdid this scene. It's kind of weird. It makes you not like Bob as much, right? Because now he's. Oh, yeah. Like, I found know, it kind of. We want to be I Team Elsa. Like, yeah. And, I'm, uh, and, and it, it's so smart. And then we find out that she's put like a love doll into his pocket somehow. She's like, you know, snuck something in there and he's under a spell. Like the whole time he's basically <laughs> under a love spell for her, which is like, cause he even talks like, oh, Elsa, we're going to be married. She's awesome. But he's still making moony eyes at, yeah. <laughs> at Celeste. So. And she, and she goes, oh, she's a, she must be a very, uh, special lucky girl. And he goes, what's keeping you from being so lucky? I know. I know. <laughs> oh, like, oh, yeah, Bob. exactly. He's just got a little bit of like a, 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 come a yeah, come hither kind of thing going on. Um, uh, I mean, it, it helps that, that Nina Fosh is absolutely lovely. I mean, she really, and she doesn't look, I mean, she almost looks a more, I always think she looks a little bit like Lauren Bacall. She looks a little bit like Betty Davis. Um, she, she's not round faced. She, she has kind of strong features. No, that's uh, a good call. I, yeah, yeah, definitely Bacall. Uh, yeah. She's a, she's a, she's a perfect amalgam of both of those. Yeah. Really great. Great, great bone structure and her, you know, skin just glows practically. So, so Elsa's, you know, home or home. She's back at the, the Latour house and Bob comes wandering in. She's like, I was going to call the police. And he's like, oh, I was just hanging out with Celeste. She's like, who's what? Celeste? He's like, oh, she's, you know, from the, from the tribe. And he's like, these are the people you think murdered your dad. And he's like, yeah, but now I've really met them. They seem kind of fine. Like, like, and then she figures out that he's got the thing. And her, again, this is, this is why it's so smart. Her being from the old world too. Like she knows what that thing is. She knows what a love doll is. Right. Um, so she, she's, uh, she not only knows that, that, how do I say it? Like now she knows that they, that, that, that the, the Troiga know that, that he's yeah. onto them and they're, and they're act and, and miss Cel- the princess Celeste is, is actively working against their interests and trying to, trying to gum it up and stuff. So, you know, she's so, so Elsa, I mean, you can kind of argue that Elsa's almost the, the protagonist of the story, you know, like, I know I always like get into that where I'm kind of subverting the intentions of the thing. Obviously, you know, as he's credited, Stephen Crane is the leading man to the movie, but, but Elsa until the very end is the one who's sort of keeps the mission together while he gets, he gets, you know, sidetracked by the, the love, the love potion number nine spell. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, he's helpless at this point. Yeah. Uh, 
so so it doesn't you know her her discovering the uh by the way there's this really nice scene of them talking and behind them is a shelf with all these human skulls on it which i just love that like they're just they don't focus on they're just like skulls in the background of the room you know you just just keep reminding you what you're watching they really Um, tied the room together yeah yeah, they they, they brought the whole room together exactly um uh I lost my place. Uh, oh yeah, great. Um, uh, but but you know, I guess I guess the Princess Celeste's plan is kind of foiled because she discovers this this love doll that's in his pocket, and and in taking it out, basically breaks the spell. So I think it 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 pretty soon Bob's going to recover and and discover, you know what he, he's going to be back on the mission uh, thanks to Elsa having discovered that. So. Um, she goes away. She goes to eat dinner by herself. She's all upset. Um, at, at Cafe Martine, <laughs> um, uh, which I, which I, I just like, there's just, I don't know. They just filmed a scene in a little restaurant where she has dinner for herself and everything. And, you know, um, uh, she goes back to the place and, um, uh, the secret passage opens up and, and Celeste is there. So, so now like, I guess, I guess Celeste is taking the next step, you know, of, of aggression in that, uh, you know, she's realized that she, maybe she still thinks she's removed Bob from the, her list of obstacles, but she has d- decided that Elsa is an obstacle as well. And she's going to, um, hypnotize her, uh, sort of corrupt her, you know, like put her under a spell mm-hmm. and, 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 and bring her over to her side and, and, and in doing so make her convince her to, to confess to the murder. So right. they're thereby, you know, getting the Troiga again off the off the hook. Well, she does that. mention something about since I cannot have a, a human relationship. Um, yeah, you aren't you aren't either. You're not going to have one with him <clears throat> either. So, which just like, you know seems mean, but okay, yeah, you know, it seems kind of spiteful. Like it does. It does. Like, <laughs> you're, you're a shape shifting werewolf, and you don't. Yeah. Those are your issues. I mean, I'm just going yeah, so to stick a, it to you. I'm over here. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think, I think watching it, you know, being a fan of a more modern era of werewolf movies, um, you think she's going to turn her into a werewolf. At least I go in there thinking every time I watch them, like, oh, she's going to turn her into a werewolf too. Which, again, you know, we would think like if she bit her, then yeah, she would become a werewolf, right? Mm-hmm. And while that would be just a ton of fun to watch, uh, <laughs> that's not what happens in in this movie um uh um but what she does is is kind of hypnotize her so again it's this idea that celeste has more powers than just getting becoming four-legged and furry she she can she can uh cloud women, women's minds uh, so to speak uh um um and then she does it and they she convinces her that that to t- to confess to the cops that she killed dr morris which the cops even don't really believe but they're like, well, if she confessed to it, we got to arrest her. I mean, you know, that kind of... Yeah. <laughs> Lieutenant Barry Lane's like, it's kind of our job. I mean, you know, then 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 she gets a trial, I guess, if she... Whatever. Um, Bob is absolutely... And we're getting in towards the end of the movie here. Bob is obviously totally sure that uh, she's, she is being manipulated. And um, I'm just... And I'm pausing. Just there's a shot of Nina Foch right there where she is the hypnotizing her and she's got more exaggerated makeup and there's the there's basically the the Lugosi eye light just on her eyes and stuff and it's just 
Um, yeah. Great shot. Again, again, like everyone's, you know, a couple shots pull out of this movie that are just stunning that they look like, you know, Get the pin lights in there, the soft yeah. focus around her. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. It's really great. Um, yeah. Again, I'm watching this off of like a, a digital version that I found. I don't own this on Blu-ray, but I'm pretty sure I'm, that's going to be one of my next purchases and stuff. Cause I really would like to see this movie as, as I, I don't think <clears throat> that it's actually legitimately on Blu-ray or, or oh, DVD. Is it, there's, um, there's DVRs that you can buy off. Of uh, is So, okay. Okay. Etsy so, and stuff like that. Cause but. I have the, so, so this must be in, in public domain, I guess. Um, I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Cause it is on YouTube and nobody's taking it down. So I assume right. like, like try putting Frankenstein up on YouTube and see how fast it gets taken. Down. <laughs> I, I, I did like a documentary thing where I talked about Frankenstein and like it got flagged and I had to say like, it's a documentary. I'm allowed to use, you know, some of this footage actually. Cause yeah, it's a thing, but, but universal is, uh, you know, rightfully so very, very protective of that stuff. So right. yeah, I do think this and Re- return of the vampire must've fallen into public domain. Um, and the good news of that is you can just, you know, yeah, watch it. Watch it online if you, if you feel like it. Um, uh, the, uh, Elsa being possessed also, like, she gets a little bit of a makeover and gets a little bit different lighting. And, and she ends up looking much more attractive as well. So it's yeah, a whole, her like, hair get, like... Her hair gets looks, a little more... Yeah, she looks great possessed. Like, wow. Yeah. Messy. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, um. Bob investigates, I guess before he even encounters her, he comes back to the thing and he investigates this, uh, this secret passage, which I, I will say like one of the weird, uh, plot confusing things for me in the film is that like his dad was discovered, killed in this, mm-hmm. uh, secret passage. And then right at the end, the cops are like, you know what? We should give that secret room a really good looking at like, <laughs> that wasn't the first thing. And then, and then I don't understand why Bob wouldn't have really investigate this thing but you know he does and then he discovers this like you know uh he discovers the uh the the secret room did he or did the detective oh i couldn't remember no bob does because it almost closes on him he he ends up oh that's right like finding the thing and and whatever so um he basically like pulls like a yeah like a chain and does it so 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 you know conceivably he wouldn't have noticed it seeing it but you would think the cops would have like noticed it and so, so he pulls the chain and this whole wall thing comes down and there's a wolf statue like a like a it uh, looks like a taxidermy taxidermy wolf. yeah that's the word i was trying <laughs> yeah. to do yeah 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 um which is interesting and this is where he discovers uh uh elsa in her new possessed uh darker haired uh kind of version uh so, so she was yeah. was that uh ta- was that her mom <laughs> was that marie latour stuffed or did they <laughs> Did, did you know, you know, I hadn't wolf. made that connection. Was <laughs> that her as a wolf, and they stuffed her? Because, because what he has discovered is, is Marie Latour's lost tomb. This is right. the crypt that she's buried in. She turns. She's she's in the house. The calls are coming from inside the house. Yeah. Um, uh, and nobody has known this, and nobody knew what happened to her. And this is the thing that Doctor Morris Senior has discovered that he's going to rule the world, and this is the thing that Princess Celeste does not want the world to know about. So this is the whole, this is the, the motivation of the villains or, uh, you know, what, what, what they're, what they're trying to accomplish versus, you know, mm-hmm. what the, what the heroes, uh, so to speak, are trying to accomplish. Um, uh, and this is where the, the, you know, finally, you know, the cops are, as I said before, the cops are wanting to take Elsa in while well, she confessed whatever like that. But, but uh, you know, 
Lieutenant Barry doesn't even think it's it that she's she's you know the 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 culprit. Um, and this is when they are all like, well, we should go down and look at the the thing ourselves because now now this room is open. So I guess what I said before, I'm almost going to rescind because I I think he did this, Bob just happened to discover something secret that the cops didn't notice when they were you know looking at the body because. Why would they be looking for a secret room, I guess? I mean, they'd already discovered the secret passage. The fact that there's a secret room in the secret passage. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just love, uh, you know, you know now now when you when you make a movie and you're, you have cops and you have police officers or whatever, military, um, <clears throat> we focus a lot on gun discipline because uh, <laughs> cops, cops and police officers, law enforcement agents and military people now have a certain way they they hold their weapon without their finger on the inside the trigger they without the with the barrel down and not pointing at anybody because that's just sensible safe and when you make a movie and you're using even fake guns you follow that not only to make it seem real like like the real cops or military or whoever would be doing it but also right. just as a safety measure because you never know and as we've seen the last few years that you know all sorts of things bad accidents can happen when you don't respect even a blank firing gun or, or whatever. Um, but in 1944, it's not so much of a thing. And the cops are just, you know, just standing there talking to each other and just pointing and, and their guns right at each other's bellies and faces and you know, <laughs> ricocheting s- off a concrete scr- wall. Yeah. Scratching their, scratching their heads with the barrel of the gun when their fingers on the trigger and stuff. There's just no, no type of trigger discipline at all in older movies. And it's, it's almost kind of cringy to watch, but it's also kind of fun too. It's just the, yeah, well, think of there, there, and it's it's like a crawl space almost, you know. They're, yeah, they're, <laughs> right, right. They're going through it, and the guns out, and yeah, 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 just yeah, 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 just firing, and then and then yeah, and then when they really open fire, so the cops go down into the into the thing, um, and they're searching, and they're going to be confronted with with you know Princess Celeste in in full on wolf form, and we're gonna have like we're gonna have a shootout between a bunch of cops and a werewolf, which you know. I mean, it's filmed a little bit impressionistically based on what they were able to do. Um, but the idea of that's kind of hilariously cool, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, uh, the, the power to the place has been cut out. So everything's darker now, which is, it serves the purpose of like helping disguise the idea that the wolf can sneak around and not be seen right away and, and shot. Um, and it also helps us just create a better mood and looks better and it looks spookier and stuff. So it's like just a, you know, um, Elsa is sitting there kind of possessed and Bob is sitting there kind of anxious and trying to figure <laughs> out what to possessed. do. Yeah. Kind of possessed. Just like, <laughs> well, she keeps repeating over and over again. Don't come near me. Don't come near. Yeah. I, yeah. She's I killed really, him. Yeah. 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 It's Don't true. Touch it's true. Me. She's really like, um, not, I guess almost rabid. Just, it's, you know, um, I know. And the detective is kind of like, is she all right? Or I, she, I think she's definitely something wrong with her. I mean, he's given her a sedative at this point, but you know, I guess that's you think, a bit, but she's peeking out of the side of her eye at him every time he's not looking true. at her. That's true. She's giving him the, uh, the side and then, eye. And then there's that one scene he's, where he's sitting next to her and he kind of fumbles through the drawer and there's a gun in there, right? Yeah. And of course, don't pick up the gun. Um, so he yeah. leaves it in there. And he leaves then, it in there. I think she eventually gets it at some point. That's, that's what happens, yeah. But this is uh, this is the callback to his thing with the lighter. Is that I I love the idea that he had the lighter on so long down in the basement of the the funeral home. Oh, that, that it's out of juice. So now when he clicks it, it doesn't work, and then he has to go into the drawer to to look for a match. Can't find oh, that's it. A and great goes to the thing. But that's 
that sets up the idea that there's a gun in the drawer. And, and, you know, the, the whole idea, like now we know there's a gun there and he doesn't grab it, but we know it's there. And, you know, as we're ramping towards the conclusion, right. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, the cop, the cops have discovered the tomb and this is where we have the whole, now you've crept up in a crypt. You mind creeping back down? Um, cause they're not really interested in, uh, the discovery of this historical place. They're looking for a killer. Um, mm-hmm. and they find one in the form of a wolf and stuff. And so, yeah, the wolf attacks him. They start shooting, they start shooting everywhere. And, and yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> his Homer just almost, almost full on takes out his, 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 his Lieutenant. Um, well, they're bound to hit something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't think that's Marie Latour, uh, stuffed. But no, I guess it's possible. I was joking. I'm just like, I mean, it just seemed kind of odd. I, I don't mean, know. I, I could what see other, a statue, what other would they have? But... Yeah, I guess it's a statue. But yeah, I'm not sure what else they would have normally had. It's weird. Um, it's grandma. Uh, I love the one cop has his sleeve totally shredded and stuff, where the wolf got almost got got part of him and stuff. So, yeah, that that was um, pretty cool. You know, the challenge is to keep this this wolf who, that they're using the, the actual animal they're using on set, uh, who is arguably kind of adorable uh <laughs> and fuzzy um you know to to be you know to be threatening and stuff but um i was joking about that with my wife and and she said well i wonder how many people have said like oh look how cute that wolf is and that was like one of the last things they said so it's true right you know you never know um uh and this is obviously no normal wolf uh no um they uh the the wolf escapes up into the the main part of the the, the house, um, and they're shooting it. And Elsa is feeling the pain because now she is connected to Celeste. So yeah, you know it's this Corsican twin type thing going on there, or something, a sympathetic thing. Um, and they know they've hit it. They hit the wolf because the cops see the the blood on the floor, um, and they're you know searching around for it. Um, there's blood in this movie, which we'll get into that, but like like for 44 movie there's a decent you know we, we see her bleeding right at the end it's really like okay wow um something that is usually eschewed to some degree in uh, in movies of this era um mm-hmm. uh the cops are searching frantically but obviously celeste has made it to the room and we have great shadows of the wolf on the wall um celeste has made it to the room with with bob and and elsa and <clears throat> we're just going to have this great showdown between the two and bob you know she Bob goes to the through the drawer to grab the gun. Again, again, Celeste does not have her shawl on. I notice. I'm just watching right now. Um, uh, <laughs> and she's shot, and she's bleeding from her shoulder. Um, Bob goes instantly to the to the the drawer for the gun and finds it's missing. And that's when we realize that Elsa has taken it. And we then have like our final bit in the movie is this kind of test of wills where right. uh, Princess Celeste is telling Elsa to shoot Bob, and Elsa's love for him is you know, kind of com- combating against that. And Bob's trying to, you know, get not, right. not, not have her shoot him. <laughs> your class, your classic. No, it's really me. No, I'm the, f- he's the fake. I'm the yeah, real one. Yeah. Yeah. Shoot him. Shoot. No, don't shoot me. Shoot her. <laughs> um, and, and, and Elsa's hair is kind of returned to blonde again. I noticed it's interesting. It's gone lighter and stuff. She's, she's so, so they're using the light to kind of, you know, cue you in that, that, um, and I think what's happening oh. is Celeste has been shot and she's bleeding out and she's that. whatever that I think her, her power over Elsa is waning because that she's, you know, and then when she almost falls out, full on passes out is when, you know, we have, um, 
the uh the, the 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 thing happens but it's a nice moment where you know right at the end after all this mm-hmm. drama and everything like that there's like this low long slow push in on on elsa uh and we see you know the war going on inside her and then obviously uh yeah all this all this blood running down uh princess celeste's hand it's wild and then she transforms to the wolf and then the wolf has blood all over its paws which is so cool right you see her you see her put her hand down on the ground yeah and she kind of squats mm. down and her hand goes down and then it just changes to the, the wolf leg with the same blood pattern coming down it. Right, That's right, really right. cool. And it's, a, it's it's just a dissolve. It's 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 something done yeah. pretty simply, but you know. Um, Princess Celeste in wolf form attacks Bob. And uh, I guess it's a good thing that you can't, in this world, you can't become a werewolf by being bit because it, it seems like the wolf messed up. takes a few bites off. Of, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I... I don't, I mean, this, this honestly looks full on like a, like a husky dog. This looks like uh Lon Chaney Jr.'s uh, dog. I can't remember his, his dog's name. Uh, full on like what he, he wrestled with in, in the Wolfman uh, only three years earlier and stuff, which, yeah, I don't think you can, uh, I don't think you train wolves to do fight scenes with humans. I don't think <laughs> that works. I think you need yeah. a, an actual dog dog, uh, a good which, idea. which is very different from a, a, an actual, even a big dog. The union, is the union frowns on that. Th- that's right. It goes against the union too. So you don't want to do that. You don't want to get the union mad. Um, yeah. So um, he manages to get the dog off and just in time for the cops to run in led by Lieutenant Barry Lane and gun down the, the, the dog who, you know, lays there and then slowly transforms back into um into princess celeste which is you know just just close enough to the end of the wolfman you're like oh okay well you know that it, and the, that there's it, a, there, it connects there's a, there's a cool little uh twist at the end when when the detective you know this this detective is looking for a killer all of a sudden at the end he, you know the, the other guy comes yeah. in and he goes oh don't make me explain it to you you know it's something's he's a believer now he knows it's real it's it's true yeah he's really and he's he, really coming around he's, and he's basically saying, "Ah, uh, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't understand. You didn't see it. <laughs> there are, yeah, if you didn't see it, you wouldn't believe it. Yeah, exactly. Like the there, there are more things in heaven and earth to ratio. Um, yeah, we have a good moment. Um, and that's the end of Cry of the Werewolf from uh, from nineteen forty four. What a neat little offshoot movie, you know, just a just a curiosity kind of, and and something that I don't think is on many people's radar, even when they're fans of the the era and the genre. Uh, I know no. it kind of really wasn't on mine. It was just, again, it was, it was doing Return of the Vampire and seeing Nina Fosh in there and going like, oh, I know she did a werewolf movie. I remember it a little bit. I remember it being a little light on the werewolf action, but having said that, let's, let's you know, give it its its due uh, 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 conversation. And, and I'm glad we did. And, and Chris, thank you for coming on and, and doing this for me. I was, I was excited. I was like, uh, you know, I, I wanted you to come on. And I was like, well, how about curse the Wer- or cry the werewolf? And you're like, yeah, I'd love to do that. I'm like, oh, okay. That's <laughs> yeah, good. I, I, and, and you've seen it a bunch of times. You were really familiar with it. I was mm-hmm. like, well, that worked out. That's great. Cause you know. I just always loved it. I thought it was, like you said, it's kind of a one-off. It's one of a kind. Yeah. And it is a perfect, you know, the, uh, some of these studios were trying to emulate what Universal was doing in the, in the early mid forties. Right. And it, it's a, it's kind of a perfect Gothic horror, uh, detective noir, old dark house. Yeah. Yeah, Wh- you know, Southern story. Gothic. Yeah, yeah. It, it 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 touches on all these little kind of sub 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 genres that and brings them together in in a neat way. Um, as we were saying before the episode started, I mean, it does make you realize that you know the the these other studios chasing the Universal formula. Um, you know, they get close sometimes. MGM gets close mm-hmm. with Mark of the Vampire. You know, a couple things, but no one really ever quite nails it. And you realize that the as we were saying before, like the 
the the formula, the secret formula of of universal horror wasn't just A plus B plus C plus D no. equals universal horror. It was a combination of like the the way Universal put things together, the assets they had that they could use and reuse and reuse, like they could just have Lionel Owl keep coming back in Frankenstein movies as different characters over and over and over again. Right. <laughs> you know, constables, doctors, burgomasters, you know. Um, uh, but um, the music, you know, everything, uh, it, it, it's, the, it's like the secret sauce, right? And other studios can get close to it, but they never quite get it. Uh, and it's just an interesting thing, but it's interesting to see their own little riffs off of it. Like here, here's how he, we, we approach this kind of thing. And it's just right. cool to see. And it's a werewolf yeah, movie. We have so few werewolf movies in the classic era, right? I mean, well, what besides I the Wolfman. too was that you do get to see the woman being, you know, the monster. Yes. Mm-hmm. Full Al- on, always fun to know? do. Yeah. Yeah. And really oh, like, right. like leaning into it. And Nina Foch just really like, embodies this this character and is and isn't just a well she wouldn't be mustache twirling obviously but you know what i mean like a mustache twirling villain right <laughs> right she she uh she there was some, no, the there humanity was some nobility of this thing. yeah there was mm-hmm. nobility to her yeah method because she truly was just trying to protect the tribe and the you know the family She's right protecting the family protecting the family you know? yes exactly exactly and she, she it's a just a wonderful job of it. So, so hey, uh, uh, Chris, thank you so much for being on the episode. I, I had a great time talking with you about this thank thing, you. and we're going to have to have you back on for something else down the road too. It'll be it'll be fun. We'll we'll think of something else good to do. Um, everybody, um, thank you so much for uh, listening to, uh, you know, kind of an offbeat episode of Borgo Fast Horror Podcast uh, for Cry of the Werewolf and stuff. We're we're glad to be able to not just talk about the biggies as we always say, like you know, talk about some of these these lesser known gems and hopefully turn you on to uh, checking them out and giving them a, a fair shake and uh, and hopefully getting some enjoyment out of them like the way we do. So thank you very much, Chris. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Jim. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, we will be back in two weeks with another episode to be revealed when when we we can tell you. So uh, in that time thank you so much um this is i think our 76th episode now or something like that we have hundreds of hours of content in our archives uh we are available on every different podcast platform uh you can probably think of uh always free always fun the burger pass horror podcast thank you very much everybody good night thank you for listening to this episode but the fun does not stop here you can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Gould. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Ahrens. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Podcast.